Just turning off the old phone, getting ready for the episode. This is Crackpot Cassette, number 27. My name is J.D. Torian, and this is a podcast to and for Austin's Pizza employees and fans of Austin's Pizza. I don't know that you'd love a restaurant so much that you'd listen to the podcast. So I took the kids by the original Austin's Pizza location at 12th and West this weekend. We were going to peek through the windows before we hit the skate park, which is behind the back. And it had been spray painted semi-professionally. Turns out they, they being ACC, had somebody paint it as, as a project. And it looks, it's one of these art buildings, I'm sure it's in the same vein of the um, graffiti park. It's kind of a graffiti paint job, which is hip these days. That's what people are doing. It's, I guess it's turned into the norm for old rundown buildings. That's what, that's what they're doing. They are um, painting them all, all sorts of wacky colors. So our original shop at 12th and West, which must have closed in 2008, maybe 2009, ACC condemned it to build an additional parking garage for the Rio Grande campus. Because if you remember previous to that, our Guadalupe store at 23rd, about the 2300 block, did not have delivery. It was just dine-in. And so we figured out how to shove delivery in there. 12th and West closed, and we moved on down the road. So fast forward to last weekend. The people at the skate shop next door told me that it was slated for demolition in two weeks. We called ACC. They said that's not true. But the word on the street remains. I don't know. Makes you wonder. You may not know, back in 1999, a couple of young retired firemen started Austin's Pizza at the 12th and West location. I think it was July, June or July. And the original premise was that you got a two liter with every pizza. And I I think they were dragging right behind HEB for most two liters delivered. That was the first location. And then they did the 620 location, William Cannon. And then South Lamar at the old Compadres. So what? You may be asking yourself a couple minutes in. It's all to say that things change. And they change a lot. They change in everything. They change in the restaurant business every day. The, the one question that I always asked myself, and I did, even at my early days in the restaurant business was, how is it that about the same amount of people... Now you're either on a sales trending upwards or a sales trending downwards. So how does whatever that amount of people every day eat at a restaurant that's established? So how on Monday can we predict, boy, if sales are this way, then we'll do about that. I don't know how that works. It's, I think we may have touched on this before. The only thing I can say is that maybe it's mammalian. That's off topic though. Told myself I wasn't going to do that today, but I did it. Today, we are talking about change. Do you guys know who Trevor Corson is? Well, this really isn't a call and response thing. Trevor Corson is a 
author. He wrote a book about lobsters called The Secret Life of Lobsters that I read. Typically, books like that are better as an article. But this wasn't at all. It was a great book. He also wrote a book about sushi, which I never read, which came out, I think, before the lobster book. Anyway, he was on a BBB. <laughs> anyway, he was on a BBC. Anyway, he was on a BBC show talking about the, the uh, not the lobsters, but the fish, uh, about the sushi book. And he had this to say. The most typical Japanese type of sushi generally in the old days was made up of fish that had interesting textures. That included shellfish, clams, things that were crunchy. All of those different crunchy, chewy, whatever textures were considered an interesting feature of sushi. Over the course of the past hundred years, this has been completely reversed. When I started looking into the history of tuna in Japan, I was very surprised to discover that it had not been considered at all a desirable fish to eat by the Japanese a hundred years ago. It was considered to be very smelly and bloody, and it would go bad easily. The he also went on to say that bluefin tuna was popularized by a shipping guy. The shipping guy was shipping electronics over to America, and America was buying Japanese electronics like crazy, and he needed to fill the plane to go back. And Eastern, Eastern Coast American fishermen were catching tuna as sport fish and throwing them away, putting them in the dump. And he flew them back and introduced it as a sushi fish, somewhat successfully. Isn't that something? When you're as old as I am, you realize that things just change. I'm sure at some point, well, at some point tuna could get fished off the planet very soon. It's, they also say in that episode, long, the time has long gone to, to feel good about and not morally corrupt about eating bluefin tuna. But, Say they repopulate, it could become unpopular. And it will. Something will happen. So the world changes around us. And so this is all to say is what does it mean to a little old pizza restaurant? I've been thinking a lot about the future and what what the future is for pizza. You know, we've seen so much of it change. When we bought the company in 2005, there was no iPhone it's probably the most striking and maybe the, the saddest example, really. In fact, there, there were just smartphones. You know, BlackBerry was king. But other smartphones were coming out, and I remember getting a Nokia phone. I remember sitting in the old conference room on Rutland Drive, unboxing a Nokia phone that was actually going to sync with my Mac, with a lowly non-business, back when you did not mean business if you had a Mac. And now the article in the paper this weekend was about Apple's cash hoarding. $250 billion in the Wall Street Journal. Again, you talk about change. The headline of one of the Wall Street Journal byline things was, what would you do with $250 billion? Shut up. That's, that's like a 
level one social media question. What's your favorite pizza? Tell us. Yuck. We had no online ordering. I remember adding that, feeling like we were really on the forefront. We were a little ahead on that. And I guess because of money and the big guys having the cash that they do to drop into stuff, we have, we've dropped a little behind. So Uber has just announced, or somebody, one of these ride-sharing groups, right? Maybe Google, who knows, has announced driverless rides in 2020. I think that's very aggressive, but who knows how far they've gone. Does the future mean driverless pizza? Sure. J- just as, as we talked, I'm, I was, I'm not the first owner of Austin's Pizza, and I won't be the last. Someday, will pizza get delivered different? Yes. Five years ago, we wouldn't anticipate Favor doing a lot of our own pizza delivery. Will the phones be around? No. Look at Amazon. Who who among you has called Amazon? Will the phones be around in five years? Probably. But at some point, does do the phones not do what they do? Yes. Do we stop the e-list and go to a text list? Yes, but will people still generally order cheese or pepperoni pizza? Yes. Will some of these delivery options go away and it'll just be pizza again? I don't know. I'm not sure. I I think that when you look at the news, all retail seems to be headed one direction except for restaurants, which is good news. I like that. This is all to say that the world is always going to want more of one thing and less of another. So you as an employee sitting there listening to this podcast, trying not to go to sleep, may wonder why I'm blathering on and on about this. And I'll tell you, your job, anyone's job changes dynamically all day long in every possible way. It does not remain the same or static. The things you did yesterday are not the things you do today. And for survival and growth, you're going to see us trying to change a lot of things. What does that mean? I have no idea. What are we changing? I don't know. Today we're working on stamping the boxes instead of printing them. Do people really need to see a bunch of branding when they get home? Or when they order a pizza into their house? They've already ordered. You, I was in the Sprint store this week. Oh my gosh, there is so much sales going on and advertisements within the store for the product that generally most people are already going to have. If you got them through the door, you just kind of need to get a phone in their hand. We'd like to see less of that. I don't know what that means. But I'm going to be looking for what it means. So be open to the change that's around you. That is probably the most metaphysical thing you will ever hear me say on the podcast. So as long as I'm being metaphysical, let's hear what the great, and I mean the great, Alan Watts has to say about change. Have a great week. So we are living, as it were, on many, many levels of rhythm.
This is the nature of change. If you resist it, you have dukkha, you have frustration and suffering. But on the other hand, if you understand change, you don't cling to it and you let it flow, then it's no problem, it becomes positively beautiful. Which is why in poetry, the theme of the evanescence of the world is beautiful. When Shelley says, the one remains, the many change and pass. Heaven's light forever shines, earth's shadows fly. Life, like a dome of many-colored glass, stains the white radiance of eternity until death shatters it to fragments. Now what's beautiful in that? Is it heaven's light that shines forever? Or is it rather the dome of many-colored glass which shatters? See, it's always the image of change that really makes the poem. Nothing is more terrifying than the state of chronic anxiety which one has if you are subject to the illusion that something or other in life could be held onto and safeguarded. And nothing can. So the acceptance of uh, everything flowing away is absolutely basic to freedom, to being uh, an unsui, a cloud water person who drifts like cloud and flows like water. But in this, we mustn't take ourselves too ridiculously. I mean, naturally all human beings have in them a certain clinging. See, you can't let go totally. You wouldn't be human if you did. You can't be just a leaf on the wind, or just a ball in a mountain stream, to use a Zen poetic phrase. Because if you were that, you wouldn't be human. Just as I pointed out that a person with no emotions, who has completely controlled his emotions, is a stone Buddha, so a person who would be completely let go would also be some kind of an inanimate object.